All right, welcome to this episode of the B2B Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by David Burkham, who's a senior enterprise SDR at Turtle, a company out of the United Kingdom. I followed David for some time now out on LinkedIn, and honestly, I've been so impressed with your content creation, especially as an SDR, the way that you engage on the platform, particularly with your peers. And I really just wanted to get you on to chat a little bit about how you think about content and personal branding as an SDR. So thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure, Morgan. Fantastic to be here. Yeah, awesome. So where I think I really wanted to start was, how, how do you think about a personal brand or showing up in the world as an SDR? You know, lots of sales professionals don't stay at the same company for 10 years. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, some sales professionals hop between different companies over, over time. So there's a resistance that I've heard in investing in a personal brand when you're at one company out on a platform like LinkedIn because oh, well, they'll tie me to that company. So how do you think about building a personal brand as a sales professional uh, and especially like using a platform like LinkedIn to accomplish that? Yeah, well, great opening question. I think the way that LinkedIn is viewed now and the way that creating so like content on social media um, is viewed now has definitely changed. And I do feel like it's going into the right direction where Companies are now becoming more and more open to their employees, whether that's sales reps, AEs, customer success, any sort of funk within you know a modern organization. They're, I think they're more and more, I believe at least from what I'm seeing and my impression is they're becoming more and more comfortable with them actually voicing an opinion. That's not just um, you know parroting some sort of corporate messaging, corporate mission statement that let's be honest, you and I, it wouldn't resonate with anyway. And they're becoming more and more comfortable with them actually talking about their own values, their own personal experiences. And ultimately, it has the um, it has the positive effect of tying back to, at some point, it will tie back to what the company's trying to offer anyway, albeit that not being the ultimate goal, I think, of posting content as an individual. So do you have support at your company from like your senior leadership to... To basically post content it sounds like that's the truth so what sort of support do they offer you as an individual sdr is it just like coaching information or is there like hands-on playbooks that your company delivers to you what sort of resources do you have to succeed yeah well i'm sure you'd be absolutely pleased to hear that as far as turtle goes we actually have we actually have an, uh, an initiative in place it's not just a case of well our reps are our employees are welcome to post. We actually have an entire initiative in place where it's being actively encouraged. So at the moment, we actually built a Slack channel. We're calling it Social Splat. And it's brilliant. It's a place where we we share uh, like content ideas. We give each other encouragement. We'll, we'll post uh, links to our posts. Obviously, we've got to be a bit mindful. We don't want to create almost like an internal pod. <laughs> but <Right>. ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, we um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of encouragement. And it's been really made clear by the CEO that you, as long as it's, a, I guess, appropriate to, <laughs> within reason, um, it, you can post whatever you want, um, things that are personal to you, things that tie to our buyer, things that tie to our company. And you're certainly not expected to just reshare and rehash content that our marketing team has put on the, the company page. 
So in that respect, um, yeah, I'm actually really proud to be at a company that does that. Interestingly, I'd actually really fallen out of the habit of posting on LinkedIn for quite a long time. I'd say I hadn't posted for three, four months. I'd had a little bit of experience of posting. And this initiative actually really not only, I guess, helped the more inexperienced people or people who had zero experience in posting, actually really helped myself as well get back onto the bandwagon of uh, posting content. So yeah, in that regard, it's been a really positive, um, a really positive initiative. I'm so happy that we're doing that. That's awesome. So how, yeah, how do you go about creating content? Like what, I mean, I've engaged in a number of your posts and I see you post fairly regularly, which I love also. I just want to affirm, like, there's no, you don't have to, you're not out on LinkedIn creating a post per day necessarily, which I think is great and healthy and sustainable for a lot of people. So how do you go about thinking about creating content? Like what sorts of topics or frameworks do you think about? How do you get down to the page and actually like write something? Uh, if another SDR or an AE is listening to this, what would you want to tell them about creating that kind of content? Sure. Well, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. You can look at the fact that you're an SDR or an AE and that's your full-time job. Uh, and then you could almost look at that as you could look at that as being a deterrent to posting. But in reality, if you spin the narrative and you look at it as a look at it in the in in regards being that, well, actually, you're not you don't need to consider any sort of campaign metrics. You don't need to think like a campaign marketer. Just use it as an opportunity with no expectation of any sort of ROI. Any you don't need any sort of tangible. You don't actually your job doesn't um, depend on you generating tangible results. Use it as an opportunity to just really grow, I'd say, a massively important skill set. And that's one of being a content marketer. Ultimately, I don't have any statistics off the top of my head, but I can imagine the amount of content that we as, as, as humans are con consuming digitally now, it's, it's incredible, right? It's, and it's only going to go up. So, but this is where the massive, massive disconnect is. Although mm. the... Um, the consumption of content is obviously going up. Certainly in a, in a, on a business platform like LinkedIn, there's definitely a massive gap between uh, the amount of content being consumed and the amount of content actually being produced and created. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure there's tons of people who spend probably a, more time than they would care to admit scrolling through LinkedIn, possibly liking, maybe dropping <laughs> the odd comment. But you got, you've got to ask yourself, how many people are actually taking the time to sit down and create content consistently um, to build that muscle, which is obviously write, copywriting? Again, don't have a statistic off the top of my head, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere between 1% to 2%. So yeah, it's clearly a massive entry to barrier, uh, sorry, barrier to entry. And if you're able to get through that, you have to, you have to ask yourself, um, if you're doing something that only 1% of people out there are actually doing, that has got to be a, in itself a massive motivation to do it. And I guess to address the question, your core question, which is around, okay, so that's, I guess, mindset. Like, why should I post? Um, why, should I, why should I be motivated to post and create content in terms of actually doing it? I think it really depends on the individual. Again, we're not, although it, we're, we're almost trying, although we're trying to replicate what a content market would, would do, we're not bound by any sort of um, metrics or we're not bound to any sort of um, KPIs that a content marketer would be bound to. 
So you don't really need to get too um, cut up on content strategy. I think having a content strategy is certainly diligent and to be mindful and to think about, okay, there are certain core pillars that I'd like to talk about and to start thinking of it in, in terms of, okay, who's my ICP, which particular buy segments am I looking to reach out to? I think if you've got the time and you're willing to to reach that sort of, at some point, reach a strategy that's, that's, that's sophisticated, then fantastic. But for the time being, just just post. Um, yeah. I guess maybe not the most helpful advice, uh, but just to kind of give some basic starting points. I think you've got two options. I think you can either just sit, turn off all your Slack notifications, uh, start just maybe put an hour aside in the morning, an hour aside in the evening to just write up a load of like a write up a load of content don't need to wordsmith it just write what's the what's the first thing that came to your mind that might work for some people others i think it's a case of well inspiration kind of comes when we least expect it it's probably not going to come when you've allocated that one hour between t between the sales kickoff meeting and that that external meeting in the diary is let's be honest so i'd say make the use of an app that um where you like, for example, notes in, I'm sure all like most phones these days, smartphones come with like natively installed app, um, where you can just basically write up notes. Um, what I do is I obviously don't, I don't want to spend time just writing out whole posts, um, off a whim. So I just kind of write down keywords. Yeah. At the moment, I, as long as I've got like a healthy pool of maybe three to five keywords, key sentences, phrases that denote um, a topic or something I actually want to write about at some point. Uh, I think that creates a really good opportunity and a really for you to be, become more consistent. It's, yeah, probably a little bit more sustainable than actually, for, for most people, I'd say it's more sustainable than just sitting down and deciding, okay, I'm due one post today. One thing that I really like about that approach and also your content too, is you're sort of liberating yourself from this idea that every post has to perform. As you said, you're not a content marketer, you're not tied to KPIs. And also that every post has to reach your, your target audience, your target accounts. You know, one thing I say a lot is like, it's really good to talk to your peers. And I've learned so much as a marketer myself from just talking to peers and creating content for peers and asking them questions in comments or in content. And I've seen that You've posted a lot of content about being an SDR or being a sales professional, and you're uh, able to start a conversation, not just towards a target account or anything, but you're really building um, connection with other people on the platform who share maybe a similar role, but also maybe not, and just sharing your insights and what's going on in your head. And I just really wanted to affirm that approach because I think it's, it's great just to see yourself sort of, yeah. Who cares about whether this gets a ton of likes? Like I'm here just to <laughs> create some content and exercise, build that skill, especially of copywriting. That's amazing. 100%. I think having that freedom from outcome, like you said, the word, use the word liberating. I think that's it. It, it, it takes away that kind of ex expectation, uh, it takes a bit of a weight off your shoulders. And what it does is it, I think it gives you more focus to actually just concentrate on the process. Morgan, Ingr um, Morgan Ingram talks a lot about being passionate about the process and not being passionate about the results. 
And it's funny how it not doesn't just translate in in hitting um, a number at the end of the month as a sales professional, but it also um, translates into content marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it really is about having that 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 freedom from out freedom from outcome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's definitely an important perspective to have as a as someone who's who's really starting out. I'd say. Mm-hmm. One thing that gets thrown around a lot is uh, social selling or virtual selling in sort of the same breath as content creation and uh, connection strategies out on LinkedIn or cold prospecting even. I, I see them, you know, they're, in my view, they are distinct strategies and distinct uh, results that you get from doing social selling versus just content creation, but they sort of get thrown into the same bucket. So how do you think about the differences between a social selling strategy or a company that especially runs a social selling strategy versus just what you're talking about with content creation as a sales professional? Yeah, I think the two are often conflated. And I'd say there's there's often very little overlap. Sometimes there's a little bit of overlap, but I'd say that the only time there'd be any sort of overlap between building a brand uh, or brand building and actual social selling and social prospecting is when you've actually reached the sorts of heights that we, we've seen the likes of, uh, you know, Sarah Brazier, um, Brian Scalera. Like these people have worked, have spent so much time, but at this point they can probably leverage the brand that they've built, reach out to some, a cold prospect who, that being said, probably still needs to be fairly active on LinkedIn. And to, you know, be part of that conversation. And then you can argue there's a bit of an overlap. 99% of um, sales professionals either don't have a personal brand at all, or they have a, they're they're fairly active and they're they're still probably more consistent than, you know, the vast majority, but they still don't have the, um, the visibility online that if they were to slide into someone's DMs, the decision maker would be like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely have a conversation with you. So David's talking it, to me. Who is this? Yeah. You know, wow, I get reached out from David? Yeah, that's unusual. <laughs> Precisely, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the two definitely get conflated. Personally, I'm. it's another way of, 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 of building pipeline. It's in the same way that, you know, generating demand through, through, through inbound marketing, through through cold calling through cold emailing is certainly another way and it's certainly something that if done really well can work funnily enough though personally i'm not hugely a fan of it i i i I think it's a a lot more difficult because again you're relying on people being active on linkedin and um instead of posting content where you almost it's as like an it's which is really an inbound strategy where you're drawing the people and you're likely to get the visibility from people already looking out for things that you uh that you're posting it um, i do feel like with social selling often it, it it's it, it can create a bit of a disconnect where you're reaching out to people who aren't active um it can be quite frustrating in that um, I think it can be a lot tougher with to, to get a LinkedIn DM correct compared to email, and also um, it can be quite hard. It, it, it's it's a gated it's a gated inbox, unlike email, where you know as long as you have the, their ID, you can send you can send whatever it is you want to send. It's not to say I've got any. I'm 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 against social selling. I th- again, if you, I think if you can do it well, uh, it mm-hmm. works. But 
I think it's really important that people don't conflate social selling with brand building. Well, I think it's uh, great that you point that out. And we were discussing this right before we started recording this, which is not all ICPs are on LinkedIn. You know, there, there are many, many industries, even in the B2B world, in which the correct person that you need to talk to, either a champion stakeholder, somebody in a buying committee, you know, the right persona inside the account is not necessarily active on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn then becomes just a tool in your tool belt instead of the only weapon that you can hold in the sales process. And I also want your perspective on that because you're not necessarily using LinkedIn to do prospecting or to enhance pipeline wholeheartedly for, uh, for your clients. So how do you balance the time it sounds like there's not much time that you need in any week or in any day to actually do what you're doing on LinkedIn to build your personal brand. But how do you think about balancing out that time that you're investing in your own personal brand and in content creation on a platform like LinkedIn and then your other sort of company goals and the time it takes to do prospecting or outbound or inbound follow-ups, um, the sort of normal activities as a sales rep? Well, yeah, I mean, good question. I think kind of we touched upon it in the previous in the previous questions as well so i mean the short answer is i don't really have any issues at all 98 99% of my week is is still based on doing what an sdr does which is you know trying mm -hmm. to break through the noise um provide messaging that resonates with you know senior decision makers influencers champions um yeah i think the reality is as long as you have some sort of strategy in place and look some weeks you might not even post. Um, you might you might have found you might find that you haven't even put any time aside to post. I think in the last month or two, where I've really started to ramp up my posting, I still I still I'm pretty sure I still haven't even posted five times yet this, in a week. I think my max was four. Every other week it's been between two and between yeah around two two to two to four. So again, I think not being too caught up around um, putting additional KPIs outside of your role helps. If I was really adamant to hit these KPIs, it would do two things. Maybe it would give me more focus. Maybe I would be able to manage, I might manage my time better. But I think, let's be honest, the reality is as sales professionals, we're already working 50 hours a week and we're finishing most days at least a little bit burnt out, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it means that you've worked and also I guess working from home probably doesn't help as well in that regard. So if, <laughs> if you're finishing, if you're working 50, 50 plus hours a week, it's okay to, to not post as consistently as you'd hoped. Um, ultimately, the more you stress out about it, I believe, I imagine most people end up giving up on the habit because they just get too stressed out about hitting, posting a certain number of posts per day. And the reality is, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Post for your post for you. and yeah, I think as long as as long as you enjoy it as well, then I think naturally you would like, I mean, set baby steps to one to two posts a, a week. You can soon find that you can scale it to two to four. You might find that you hit a limit. You might find that you want to write more. You might find that actually spending a, your Saturday, putting an hour and a half in the diary and then just writing maybe a month's, well, you probably have to put a bit more than a month in the diary, but let's say you put two to three hours on one weekend to write an entire month's worth of content and then to use a, I don't know, a platform like Hootsuite or Post Planner 
and to just schedule the posts over a course of a, of a month. I did actually try that, I think a year ago when I actually started posting. And it, I'm, it definitely not a bad idea. And for some mm-hmm. people who are a bit more, um, what's the word, kind of a bit more structured in, in, in the way they do things, a bit more systematic, that could certainly be something that works really well. I stopped doing that. I think, I think, I think it's important for me, my relationship with, with social, uh, not social selling, <laughs> with brand building, <laughs> I think my relationship with it has to be one that's, I'm doing it because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because ultimately I get to, I get to speak to my peers I get to, as a byproduct, potentially have some, make some impressions with senior marketers that so happen to hold a budget. But, you know, that's a byproduct, right? It's, I'm sure the likes of, like I mentioned, Sarah Brazier, Ryan Scalera, they didn't set out to post on LinkedIn because they wanted to build, you know, 50K worth of pipeline within a mm-hmm. quarter. They did it because ultimately it's something that's fun. It's something that um, brings another flavor to to the B2B world. Provides Ultimately, they do provide value alongside entertainment, like many others. And it's it just so happens that past a certain point, you can build it. You can leverage it to build pipeline. Yeah. You've got to get it in the right order. Don't be looking to, don't put the goal of building pipeline before and then you know, deciding, okay, now I need to post content, post content. And then, you know, at some point you might be able to, you might have the luxury of building pipeline off that, I think. And again, it ties into having that freedom of outcome. And uh, I think it's a great mindset to have as a sales professional, because it is such a long game. And if you're already looking at the result of building pipeline, then what you're, I guess you're creating is, is almost, um, (laughs) It, you're, it's instant gratification, right? And posting on social media and building a brand—that's the worst expect. That's the worst expectation because uh, mm-hmm. you know it, the last thing you're going to get out of this is, in, is is instant gratification. Totally, I think that's some deep wisdom, David. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's super important for sales professionals to understand. In many ways, like none of this is overnight. And also to have your priorities and your mindset in the right order in which you really are just to there to deliver value. The way I say it as a marketer is to be generous. You know, you're just being generous with your time and your attention to others. And that reaps dividends, but that's reaping dividends in a six month to three year time frame, not your quarterly quota goals. <laughs> and I can see where some sales professionals get those, yeah, mixed up. But hey, it happens. You know, one of the things that I've liked, Nick, my co-host on the show, has done on some recent episodes is he turns the table. So do you have a question that you'd like to ask me while we're together on the show? I'd be happy to answer it. Yeah, let me think. There's, there's certainly a load of That's questions fine. that I always wish I could ask a marketer. Uh, the, only, <laughs> the, the only question, uh, okay, yeah, no, I do have one. I think one thing we're seeing a lot of recently I'm noticing a lot on, on LinkedIn is certainly a, a massive two, two polarizing boot camps. One is between, one is kind of between, uh, you know, the old school it's, you know, let's just do 90, hundred percent of our go-to-market strategy, just outbound. And then the other mm-hmm. side is like, well, actually let's, 
let's not do that. <laughs> let's actually look to just generate demand, put out ungated content. Let's not try to attribute certain pieces of content to certain pieces of like certain parts of the funnel. Let's just look to consistently mm -hmm. meet the prospect customer wherever they are in the funnel. And I think it's what I'm seeing is it's very unhelpful that we're getting two people, two sides, two polarized sides almost just cutting the other one down. Where do you think, do you think it's possible that there could be a middle ground? And if so, hmm. like where do you see the SDR position, I think, ultimately? Because SDRing really is just, it is a lot of it for most companies is top of the funnel outbounding. Mm -hmm. And if we're moving mm -hmm. into this era of, you know, demand generation, uh, hopefully a new model as far as inbound goes, where do you see mm -hmm. kind of the SDR, BDR fitting into that? Such a good, deep question, man. <laughs> I The question of middle ground is really interesting. I think the demand generation playbook that's been emergent and is on the rise, I think has definitely had somewhat of a golden child syndrome where it's new, it's fresh, people like the results. And so we sort of ignore its shortcomings. Mm. And... I think because the model has been around for some time and the you know, predictable revenue model, in the words of a friend of mine who's on the show, Nelson, the 90 to 100% outbound, mostly accomplished by prospecting done by SDRs, that's either manual or on the phone. I think that there's a lot of evident shortcomings of that approach. But again, there's maybe some benefits that we're overlooking because this new playbook has, has arisen. So I think the main question that I always ask when I work with clients, especially in the B2B world, is who are you going after? That's the fundamental question. And what is their buying behavior? So if their buying behavior is better accomplished by raising awareness top of funnel, by making them aware of your brand, then a demand generation playbook is probably the the smart play you want, you know, there's people throw around numbers all the time. It could be 3%, it could be 8%, but a, a small fraction of buyers are actually buying at any point and contact them. So the hope of the demand generation playbook is that with enough outbound, well, outbound in quotes, but enough awareness, education, engagement through content, through ungated content, especially that when that buyer is ready to buy, well, they use your brand. That's the that's the essential playbook. And I think in that model and in whatever ascendant comes, whether it's a combination of those functions, I think the SDR either has to or will transition to more of an account executive role. Somebody who's, I would like to see organizations use sales staff as a single, single person fulfillment role. And the, the reason is the sort of endless hands off, handoffs between the SDR who qualifies somebody to the account executive who fulfills the order to the customer success manager who like landed and expands them or retains and grows that account is fine if you're working with much, much larger cusp. But for smaller companies, it's a little harder to manage. There's a lot of steps. People may mm -hmm. feel weird about that. So again, if it comes back to your buyer, they're a smaller client they're going to become confused who they're supposed to talk to, then don't do it. 
you know, ultimately we're in business to solve problems of other people. That's how we make money. That's how we sell stuff. The only reason that we continue to exist as a company is if we're able to solve somebody else's problem and they're willing to pay for it. So we should design everything around how do, how do we make their lives the easiest? I, in terms of whether the demand gen playbook is better or worse, uh, or whether what the sort of middle ground is between those two playbooks, I think it's sort of a difficult uh, question to answer, not because there is data to support it, but it does come back to the motion, the go-to-market motion that a company might have. For example, if you are servicing large enterprise clients and you have to deal with, let's say, eight to 10 people on a buying committee, chances are your demand generation playbook is not going to accomplish 100% of your go-to-market motion. It's just, in my opinion, I don't think that's feasible. I think you have to have a sales professional, and it could be an account executive, it could be an SDR, working intimately or prospecting intimately with those members of the buying committee. And so there are ways to make it more personalized, more high touch, more value driven than sales driven in that motion. Um, but it does kind of come back to who you're trying to sell to and count what your average contract value is mostly. Uh, David Kirkdorfer, who's a marketer out on LinkedIn, he talks a lot about sort of the economics of a, of a firm where if you have a really large average uh, contract value, it actually makes a ton of sense to have a couple of SDRs and an account executive and a customer success manager on one contract because that one contract is gonna generate, let's say half a million dollars worth of revenue. And the ROI for four staff members on that half million dollar contract is great, honestly. But if you have 30K contract values, that's a lot harder to justify. So there's a lot of competing sort of levers that somebody has to consider in which which one is right and how to accomplish it. But I think we're able to see that evolution in front of our eyes right now. And we're able uh, to see which things pass the smell test and figure out what works for us. Because ultimately, marketing's marketing. It's just being able to change somebody's mind. And that can be accomplished in, in lots of different ways. Yeah, no, really, really helpful. I think it's good. It's good to get that perspective as well. There's there's so much hype around the new the new demand gen playbook. Personally, I I'm actually a fan of it. I think the more I listen, the more I read about it, the more I listen about it, I think it's it it sounds great. The only thing is, the only thing that makes me skeptical is it almost sounds like someone talking about a utopia. Yeah. <laughs> like like a perfect world where instead of being inbound all the yeah, time exactly. everyone's happy you never have to do cold outbound yeah like come on precisely so it's really nice to kind of hear a bit more about potentially where the shortcomings like and i think if there's anything we, we you you learn in life there's always it tends to be sort of like a middle ground i'm definitely not an advocate for just pounding the phones I, I i i mean i didn't i didn't think it was a bad idea when i was a bit you know earlier in my journey <laughs> but then the more you start to read and listen about listen to how kind of go-to-market strategy has changed how buying behaviors changed how you know prospects mm -hmm. are now spending way more time in the dark funnel um on dark social and i guess it almost ties into linkedin like why should you post on linkedin well if people are making decisions mm -hmm in Slack communities and Discord communities and Clubhouse these days, ultimately, like, you're just, you're another voice in that kind of, in, 
in that general part of the internet where people are actually spending time. And who knows, it could be the case that someone on a Slack group, on a private Slack group goes, shares one of our, po one of our posts on LinkedIn. You know, they're all social channels. They all, mm -hmm. they all easily shareable within one another, mm -hmm. you know, and that's another way of just kind of providing a bit more visibility around your brand. So yeah, no, another interesting thing you mentioned actually around, it's kind of, I, th I thought it's kind of ironic actually, you mentioned that the, 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 the new age demand gen playbook seems to be best fit for the, the lower ACV, which is kind of interesting that the more transactional sale actually benefits from a slightly less sales led approach. So that's definitely yeah, Nick, something that, yeah, it's quite interesting. Nick, Nick argued on our first live show ever of the B2B Power Hour that your sales team shouldn't be selling anything under 50K ACV because demand gen can accomplish basically a 80 to 100% of the sale and 100% if you're able to have digital self-fulfillment. I do think that there is a case, and Refine Labs and Chris Walker at Refine Labs demonstrates this, where if you are an enterprise SaaS company or you're a SaaS company targeting enterprise, demand gen can work for you as well. Like there, it's it's not necessarily exclusive, but I think the the larger it's very the reason I'm skeptical that you know an SDR ever gets 100% phased out or that you know everyone becomes account executives is when you're dealing with million dollar plus ACV, like nobody's just going to click and fill out a Stripe form and pay a million dollars. Like you got to have somebody in that process carrying it or prospecting it or building those relationships because business is built on trust. So I think you have to have somebody, especially in larger contracts, engaging with it uh, or engaging with the demand gen side can help speed up your sales cycle. It can help build pipeline. It can help, you know, do all the things demand gen says it does. It's just likely that we'll see a lot of movement when you get to lower ACV or that, as you said, the more transactional sales where it is probably easier and more cost-effective to run 80% of your pipeline on demand gen and 20% on some outbound with an SDR or an AE even who just does outbound as a part of their job. Uh, that sounds like a far more, I don't know, economical solution now that we have these platforms that are disposable. Uh just, there's going to be two types of prof like sales professional. I think when when they hear this, um, whether or not they believe it is another thing. But let's say <laughs> <laughs> let's say they believe. Let's say that you've got two types who 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 see this as some as a as a general trend. You know, marketing owning way more of the funnel, being able to build pipeline without the need of as without as much of a need um, coming from the SDR. Uh, they, mm -hmm. There's They'll do one of two things, I guess. They'll either be they'll be scared. They'll think that their role is, is their their role is kind of being phased out, or they'll embrace it, I guess, and they'll say, "Well, okay, forget about being a sales professional, marketing professional. Why don't we just look at ourselves as revenue professionals?" And ultimately, like, I don't think there could be anything better than. Than, than that that sort of alignment between sales and marketing personally. I think we we've we're, we're we're two separate organizations. We're always talked about as two separate organizations, but we literally do the exact same thing. <laughs> okay, I, you're not going to align yep. sales and marketing with HR and finance because they do completely different things. But like ultimately, it's driving 
sales. So yeah, that's, I think it, it should be looked at, it should be embraced. And I think people should be looking mm-hmm. to, to learn a new skill set if, if needs be. And uh, because the reason that marketing and sales should align is not ultimately to help that organization, right? It's to help the buyer. And if you've got happier buyers, happier customers, then, you know, ultimately everyone, I, it's not like suddenly the companies now or the people working in the company are going to be, are going to lose out. So, yeah. <laughs> no, totally agreed. Well, David, it has been such a pleasure to have you on this episode. Thank you for coming on. And I seriously uh, hope we stay in touch and I hope people can um, get in touch with you as well. So where can people find you if they want to, obviously out on LinkedIn probably, but uh, is there anywhere in particular you wanted to share <laughs> that people can find you? <laughs> if we're talking social handles, then yeah, LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> that I, I, If you reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, unless I've lost my phone, <laughs> the chances are I'll, I'll see your request. But yeah, no, seriously, if you want to connect with me, drop me a line, definitely like just add me on LinkedIn <laughs> and uh, I'll be sure to awesome. connect with you. Well, his profile link is in the show notes below. And uh, David, thanks for being on this episode. My pleasure, Morgan. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Power Hour podcast. Make sure to subscribe to catch all of our upcoming episodes, and we'll see you next time.